0: I've been looking forward to this episode for quite some time, ever since I was introduced to John Ramstead, You know, one of my favorite movies is Top Gun, and uh, some of you might know that I'm a pilot, um, and, and John is a fighter pilot, and you're going to love his story and his stories that he shares in this episode. But first, let me introduce you to John. John is a keynote speaker and a trainer. He's a former combat Navy fighter pilot and he's a leadership coach and international podcast host. John was named by Inc. Magazine as one of the top 12 podcasts that leaders need to listen to. Now, John's journey started when the U.S. Navy accepted him into flight school to become a naval aviator. The day he pinned on his wings of gold and received orders to fly the F-14 was the culmination of a dream that he had since childhood. Now, he went on to fly combat missions in Iraq and was selected to attend Top Gun. After his Navy career, John became an entrepreneur. He was part of three tech startups, was on a Fortune 500 management team. He's a board chair on two nonprofits he founded and has held many other leadership positions. John was at the peak of his professional career nine years ago when his dreams were shattered by a freak accident. Twenty-three surgeries later, and with his life hanging in the balance, John emerged with a profound vision for how to live a life of significance. Since then, he has coached and mentored hundreds of individuals and companies. John also has a book coming out on April 27th called On Purpose, With Purpose, And you're going to find out how you can get a copy of that at the end of the podcast. So here is my conversation with fighter pilot and author, John Ramstead. John, uh, so grateful to have you here on the podcast uh, in the growth space. Um, Thanks. Thanks for being here and thanks for joining me.
1: Yeah, thanks, David. Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, I've been thinking about this episode and and our conversation for a long time. I know we've had it on the calendar for a little while. And and, uh, anytime that I can talk to another pilot, not only just another pilot, but someone who's uh, been a fighter pilot, and I I know you got an invitation to go to Top Gun, uh, man, I'm all in. I I love flying. I love everything about uh, flying. And so grateful to have you here today. And uh, I would love just to maybe start our conversation with sharing a little bit about your story as a fighter. Fighter pilot and and really like what drew you to that? What drew you to uh, being in the in the military and, and becoming a fighter pilot?
1: Well, when I was younger, my uh, my grandpa immigrated here from Norway, so I'm second generation. Okay. And it always amazed me. He came here in 1912, and in 1917, he could still barely speak English. He enlists in the U.S. Army to fight for this new country of his. and wow. he goes over to Europe in World War One, and he fights in in all the big battles and he was small and fast. So he was an ammo runner and the ammo runners were the favorite targets of the snipers, right? They were trying to, sure. cause they didn't, they couldn't, you know, they, uh, that was how they got ammo up to the front lines. And that always, I was like, wow, what? And I didn't really know much, you know, he died when sure. I was four. Okay. And then my dad, just a sense of patriotism he had, he enlisted for the Navy in World War I the day that he turned 17. My grandpa signed the release form and he wow. goes down to the recruiting station to actually enlist for the Marines. And I know your, your son yeah. fought in yeah. the Marines and yes. thank you for his service and also yours as a parent. That's a big deal.
0: Uh, yeah, thank you.
1: But my dad was a little guy, shows up to the Marine recruiter and they said, uh, no, you're going to get somebody killed. Because my dad, he's like, you know, you're, you're not what the Marines are looking for. Looking for. Oh man. But they let all of his friends in and all of his friends ended up going to Iwo Jima. Oh, wow. And only one of them came back. Oh, my and my way. dad was still determined to go to get in. He actually went in the Navy and he was air crewman. He was a radio man and a tail gunner. Okay. And uh being sent out toward the Pacific. And so that was kind of the whole history. And yeah, and growing up I was fascinated. Uh you know, back then we didn't have TV and internet like we have today. So I had those time life books oh, all yeah. about, you know, <laughs> World War Two. <II>, sure. <laughs> and the Battle of the of Britain, you know, the air war, mm-hmm. and the Battle of Atlantic, the submarine warfare, just I loved reading about it. So yeah. I knew from uh I don't know, prime middle school, I really wanted to go in the Navy. So I went pursued the Naval Academy and a Navy ROTC, and that's kind of how it all unfolded.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Well, I I know that your there's so much we could dig in here, uh, dig into here, but I know that your path uh, obviously hasn't been a straight line. Talk a little bit about. Just being able to overcome adversity, because as a pilot, I know that you have lots of experience of overcoming adversity, and you know I'm sure that, and I know that even in your uh, your book that we'll talk about here in a minute as well, there you you talk about different points and different stories of overcoming adversity. I'd love to have you share like what has adversity meant to you in your own personal growth journey.
1: You know, adversity is almost like the crucible. <laughs> yeah. You know, you think of a crucible, right? You throw in all this ore. And the crucible is there is to refine it down to, I guess, the best version of itself, Mm -hmm. right? And take out all some of these impurities. And the times that I've been through adversity has really, I I mean, it's an opportunity every single time. When we go through adversity, you will never emerge the same. same. There is no status quo. Mm -hmm. You will either emerge stronger or you'll get weaker. Mm -hmm. You'll start to believe some of the, maybe the lies that you've let in, that you've maybe accepted as a truth.
2: Hmm.
1: Like, I know you work with a lot of emerging leaders. When I was younger, right, people said I wasn't a very good communicator. I was really shy and didn't have a very good Hmm. self-image when I was younger. Um, I was just kind of that kid, right, that wasn't really close with a lot of people. There's a lot of reasons around that, other dynamics and things with my family and things going on. I never saw myself as somebody that could lead somebody. And when I even was put into small leadership roles in either the church or the school or things like that, I I didn't do well. Now that's not because I didn't have the capability. Clearly, I did because later in my career that's what I became known for. Yeah. But at the time, I believed what other people had either said or what I thought they said, right? Because we tend to do that also. Yeah. And I had let some of the stuff into my identity, how I saw myself. And I think understanding who you really are at the core. Um, being mentored, being Mm. open to feedback. And I got to tell you, it's hard to be open to feedback if you got a bad self-image because you get defensive about everything. And so I guess another key out of there is really taking personal responsibility Mm. for how I think in a situation, Mm -hmm. the emotions that come across in a situation, and then how I act. Mm. Because I would tend to jump right to being defensive or anger in certain situations. That didn't help me. That didn't help the situation. And then when people would give me feedback on that, I'd get back in their face.
0: Sure.
1: Sounds just like the kind of guy you want to work with, right?
0: (laughs) Right, right.
1: (laughs) But you know what? Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, you know, there's a lot of the, and there's a lot of these things that are subtle, but I, but I would tell you that what I have found uh, to get through adversity though, what, what allows you to emerge stronger? foundationally is we have to be working on ourselves, become that best version of ourselves. But I think knowing why it's important to get through adversity. What does that do for us? Yeah. Right. And that's why I titled the book you mentioned on purpose with purpose. With purpose. If we're yeah. going through adversity and we know why, mm-hmm. right? We know the reason that it is worth taking that next step forward. Even if we don't feel prepared.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That is huge. And there's been times in my life, like when I was in flight school, and I was pursuing those gold wings. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done. And there was a lot of adversity, people dropping out, friends being cut. In the seven years I was in the military, I went to a number of funerals. I mean, it, I mean, moving forward through that period of time was hard. But I got to tell you, I was focused on not only getting those wings, but at the time, I had this dream of being a commanding officer of a fighter squadron. And I thought that would be an incredible career. Yeah. And what I also found later in life, right, is as my focus, my purpose was really kind of building my resume and maximizing my paycheck. That's not really a purpose that really you can hang your hat on. I'm sure you you know you talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes it really easy to get lost, go through adversity and move more into a kind of a victim mindset versus a victor.
2: Yeah.
1: Move into a mindset of this life happened to me. Versus life happens for me, if that makes sense.
0: Absolutely, it does.
1: Yeah, and you know, those might sound like a subtle shift, but one moves you into a place where you're more equipped and another moves you into a place that's harder to get out of and it's a dark place. And Mm -hmm. I've been there and it scares me. So to this day, Mm -hmm. I am very careful about guarding how I think, what emotions come up in a situation and and the actions that I choose Mm. because nobody's in control of those except for me. And if, you know, you say, Hey, you know, my boss made me angry, that employee, my new employees, man, they're just ticking me off. They're so frustrating. No, I had to realize I was actually allowing that I was giving that person control of me. I was allowing that person to frustrate me. And so uh, David, I had to really dig in and say, okay, why is that happening?
2: Yeah, right. And
1: I think when that started to happen, and that happened because of some incredible mentorship Mm -hmm. at the time, that opened the door for me to actually start seeing what other people saw in me as I was being put into new leadership roles.
0: Yeah. Wow. And, you know, you mentioned mentorship. Did that mentorship happen before you went into the military or during or after, or was it like all the way, th- you know, all, all of the above?
1: <laughs> well, it, I got to tell you, it can't. It stems from the best advice I've ever been given in my life. Okay. Okay. So uh, the movie Top Guns come out, comes out in 1986, right? Yeah, right. I am about to go into my junior year in college in, in Navy ROTC. This is our selection year. And I decide... So I first watched that movie and I walked out of that theater with a different reaction than others. Really? Okay. I was totally despondent because hmm. that had been my dream. And what I saw on the screen, my whole self-image, everything came caving in, all this self-talk. Hmm. I said, I can't do that. Hmm. I'm going to fail. I'm going to embarrass myself. I didn't care about hmm. dying. I was more afraid of just embarrassing myself, people hmm. making fun of me. Cause hmm. that had, all this stuff had happened when I was younger. I went back to my unit and didn't even apply for aviation. Really? I applied for submarines, surface, and then intel. Hmm. And man, I just felt like I gave up on myself.
2: Hmm.
1: And I was talking to my dad about it, hmm. and I realized I was at this crossroads. Yeah. Either I make a choice, I do something I know that I'll succeed at. I had the engineering skills to succeed, but I knew I just I wouldn't, you know, be alive by yeah. right? being doing something I'm excited about.
2: Yeah.
1: Or take this other track that scares the Wadden out of me mm-hmm. that I don't know if I can succeed, but it's really what was in my heart to do. And, and I decided that, you know what, I'm going to go back and change my selection.
2: Yeah.
1: And I ended up getting into flight school. Now I get into flight school and we're told by my class officer that because of the movie and all the interest and all the, and the budgets were good back in the eighties. Sure. One out of 10,000 people that apply get to sit in the fighter. Wow. I'm like, who am I to think that? And I was scared to death of to flying a helicopter. I right? had a friend's dad die, you oh, know, in the military, fly the helicopter, and I'm sharing all this kind of this fear. <laughs> like I was kind of getting a little bit overwhelmed with my dad, and he. So here's the advice he gave me, uh, David. He said, uh, when you get down to flight school, there's going to be a student that everybody else is talking about. He's going to be ahead of you, so you're not competing with him. He's going to be the ace of the base, and you need to go buy that guy a beer and figure out what he's doing and then you need to put in the work and you'll get the same results he did oh wow and I, i'll i never forget i'm showing up at the gate of nas pensacola naval air station pensacola and i got this pit in my gut and with literally within a couple of weeks i hear everybody talking about this guy john foster <laughs> nobody ever had the grades that he has he was crushing it And he actually became, I, I, it was weird. It was kind of awkward, right? You know, he's just a year older than me. and I'm like, Hey, can I buy you a beer? He's like, (laughs) sure. I'm like, yeah, I I want to hear about everything you're doing. And he was, he was excited. Nobody had asked. Wow. I'm like, "Whoa!" I learned so much in this. A, nobody asked. Yeah. He shared with me every, so in here, and this is something you you've done. And John Maxwell, I know you're just more Mm -hmm. with him. He teaches this, right? Go find somebody that's done what you want to do. Step Mm -hmm. one. Yeah. Step two, have them share with you their entire plan, what they did, what that uh, action plan is. Mm-hmm. Number three, ask yourself, are you willing to pay the same price that they did yeah. to get the results? Yeah, and that might have to work on yourself, your discipline, your habits. There could be a lot involved. Mm-hmm. And then number four, if you can win, or say, well, if you commit, because I think it's important to really assess this, yeah, and you don't give up. Yeah. You don't look at setbacks as failure. I had to look at every setback and say, you know what? This I have to figure out um, because one of the biggest killers of performance is comparing ourselves to others. Boy, that's so true. Yeah. Biggest performance killer. The be- best enhancer of performance is competing with the best version of ourselves. Yeah. So in every situation, I started to ask myself two questions. Okay, what did I do well? I wanted to focus on not evidence of this program that was running in my head that I couldn't do it. Yeah. But I had to focus on, you know what? There was seven or eight of those 10 things I did that I actually did well, but those two or three things were really bad. That Mm -hmm. was embarrassing. But then the second question I asked myself is, what did I learn from that so I can get better?
2: Yeah.
1: Now, here's what I did is I followed what John was telling me to do. And then I gave John permission to hold me accountable. Oh. Like he had a routine, like on Friday night, my, you know, my wife, or she was my fiance at the time we got engaged, we met in college. She came down to Pensacola to surprise me. And she went to the bar where we all kind of gather out, right? Like yeah. the cheers place to all have a beer and wine at the end of the week. And she showed up and, and I wasn't there. And she's like, where's John? And everybody said, well, he, he's, he won't come out yet. He won't be here till at least 11. He's, I'll guarantee he's home studying. And she went to my house and I was there because this is what John taught me. This is what he does. And I knew he would ask me on Saturday when I saw him, you know, did you get everything done on Friday night? Yeah. And what happened was here was the results of that. One of the most competitive areas in on the planet, I ended up graduating number one hmm. and only the person who graduates number one actually gets to choose the airplane that they want to fly. And I chose to fly the F-14 out of Virginia beach. Yeah. And the reason that happened it's because of John Foster and my dad and the fact that I chose to put in the work and be accountable to what John was telling me. It, mm-hmm. I, I'll tell you right now, because I know an amazing amount of pilots. There was guys that had a lot more skill than me, no doubt about it. Mm. But I found somebody who could help me. I did the same thing, David, when I got out and got into business. Mm. I had I reached out. Let's say you're a, a new leader. You just got promoted to being a, you know, a manager of a group. Yeah. I think you, you need to have wingman. I
0: love that. And you yeah. could
1: right. You have to have, this is, this is a team sport. Yeah. We're not, I mean, you we will figure it out on our own. We're all smart people. I have no mm-hmm. doubt about that. But instead of trying to take three to four years to actually figure it out and go through all some of the broken mm-hmm. glass, what if mm-hmm. you can figure it out in a few months?
2: Right. Because right.
1: imagine how, where you'd be in three or four years if you were, you know, your progress. So, you know, when I was new in a management role my boss who was you know just a year older than me and he'd just come from that role i made sure that he and i were spending time together and i almost asked him questions not about the business and deals and processes but about people oh yeah i had people outside of the company cuz i had learned this people that i really respected Uh, Mm -hmm. The people that introduced me to John Maxwell, every all those folks that led me to Lord um, were my uh, became mentors. They were all one was a doctor, one was an Mm -hmm. attorney, and one was an administrator of a school district. This interesting mix of people became some of my closest friends and mentors because in their profession they were incredibly successful. None Mm -hmm. of them were in the technology space, but guess what? A lot of the things around managing and leading and equipping and developing people have nothing to do with your, the industry that you're in. Yeah. That's so true. So there you go. That was, yeah. that was one thing that I brought, you know, from that early time that helped me get all the way through that I, that yeah. I do to this day, my gosh, what is it now? 30 years later. Wow.
0: Yeah. I, I love that story. Thank you for sharing that because, uh, you, you know, I think it's, Too often, leaders in an organization um, don't realize that it does take a wingman. It takes wingmen and women. It, It takes people around us to be able to help us to grow and to get better. And I loved what your dad did that for you in having you go to the person who's ahead of you and look at what they're doing, but then committing to doing the same thing. Um, and I think that that's where a lot of, especially emerging leaders fall short is they want the glory, but they're not willing to commit and they're not willing to commit to what it takes. And um, it's pretty, pretty interesting to, to hear you say that, you know, you are doing also what it takes to, to succeed.
1: Yeah, and, and, and here's the point to that glory because i totally understand that now think about this in the navy in a squadron there could be i don't know 27 junior officers and if you don't get ranked at the end of a reporting period our fitness report in the top three Uh for you're you're gonna really limit your ability for any major commands in the future Mm -hmm. because there's so many people right and promotion path gets very narrow yeah. And I'll never forget. So I, I I followed the same philosophy, right? I reached out to John. So I my, I really respected my commanding officer. Mm-hmm. So I asked if I could come talk to him
2: mm-hmm.
1: one-on-one in his stateroom. And I went down there and I said, Sir, you know what? It's my I was new, kind of you know, green, mm-hmm. but I said, Hey, it's my dream to be a commanding officer of a fighter squadron someday. And if you're open, I would love, sir, if you would share with me. What are some of the biggest lessons you wish you'd known back when you a junior officer or what would you would share with me? He sat there and thought about for a second. He goes, John, one thing he goes, everybody who's a junior officer in your position across the Navy is trying to do something big and flashy and showy to get that glory you talked about, right. Yeah. To get that yeah. recognition to like move into that top three.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He said, don't be that guy. He Mm -hmm. said, every single day, find somebody in this squadron, junior to you, senior to you, enlisted officer in your department or not. And you find a way to serve them. You find a way to add value to them Mm -hmm. in a way that helps them personally, and also helps the mission of the squadron. And if you do that, and that is how you just operate. Trust me, when we all get together and we're looking at, he goes, you might never get rewarded at quarters or get an award or, you know, be called out, get affirmed for any of this. But trust me, the people in leadership are going to know. You're going to be invaluable to the squadron. And I so respect this guy. And that, would just, that just rung true. That's kind of how I was already wired. Yeah. Right? Servant yeah. leadership isn't about letting other people just do whatever they think is best. No, it's about equipping them. It's about teaching them. It's about making sure they have the tools, training them so that when you, let's say, delegate something to them, you're setting them up for success. That's what I then tried to do. And I figured, you know what? If I can help everybody around me succeed, even if they look better than me in the moment, Mm. long-term things are going to work out pretty well. Yeah. (laughs) And that is how I got early promoted. That is how I think, I uh, because I worked really hard at it, but got orders to go to Top Gun. But then I had an injury and never could go. I got hit with a softball. That's actually yeah. why I got out of the Navy. Think about that. You're the top wow. of your game yeah. and you get blown out. But that, you know what? So that became my leadership style my whole life. Yeah. And that is, guess what? A rising tide lifts all boats. Oh, for sure. When I first became a sales manager, you know, plucked out of a group of peers, there's a couple of guys that I loved hanging out with, right? We'd go get beers after work. So there's a couple of guys that I didn't like, David. You maybe you've been there. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and I figured, you know what? My new job is to help Bob succeed equally with, you know, with Joe, and help Mary succeed equally with Catherine. Mm-hmm. And so I built my success on putting my own agenda in ego aside, which at times was a bit challenging, because mm-hmm. then I realized I'm in a different role. And that's mm-hmm. also where mentorship came in. Uh, big time because in that position, like, you know, like what if I came to you and said, okay, I want you to hold me accountable, right? I have great relationships with half my team and a third of my team, man, I never, I don't, I got to lead them, but I don't like them.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Right. I don't know if you've ever heard a story like that, but that's oh, yeah. where I was. Cause I'm yeah. kind of a, I can be a strong personality. <laughs> and I realized is those dynamics, I'll never forget. It was actually one of my mentors, amazing guy, very candid. Cause I was sitting there complaining about two of the folks on my team.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, because it's their fault, right? They're just yeah. different. They're just, you know, everything. But he looked at me right in the eye. He said, "John, what is it about you and your leadership that has created that problem?" Wow. I'm like, Ugh. that's strong. No, 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 yeah. no. It's not me. You know, this guy's name was John. <laughs> of course not. Also, I'm like, John, it's not me. It's them. Then he goes, "No, stop." He goes, "That's the problem right there. Yeah. And you're not even seeing it." So what is it about you and your leadership that's creating that problem? He forced me to look in the mirror. Man. And man. And then I had to dig in, and I think it's really important for us. You know, Maxwell defines leadership, right, as having a positive influence over at least one other person. Right. There's another definition of leadership that I love that I think comes from a very ancient source, and that is this, that you know what? It says there's no, man has no love, than you know, no higher love than to give their life for another person. Yeah, right. And when I read that, I said, you know what? That is a definition of leadership.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So what if I actually give up not just my life, but my agenda? What if I yeah. sacrifice my agenda
2: mm-hmm.
1: to serve the agenda of those that I lead? What if I sacrifice my agenda to help those that I lead be successful? What would that look like? Wow. And it was in that that I was actually able to slowly start to make some changes. And I just want to tell the leaders out there, guess what? You're going to make some changes and you're going to fall into bad habits Mm. and you're going to get mad at yourself (laughs) and you're going to get frustrated and you are going to be tempted to give up, but don't give up. That's why having mentorship, but also having that purpose. What is that kind of leader You want to be, I tell new leaders, I would have them sit down and write almost a vision statement, Mm -hmm. right? Um, A purpose and a mission as a leader. I'd also have them sit down and write down an obituary. Love that. But but it's different. Like a corporate obituary would be this, like someday this role, this job, maybe even your tenure at this company is going to be passed, right? There's a start date and an end date in this role. And let's just say it was a couple of years down the road and people that either worked for you or a peer or your boss or somebody who was a customer, and they're just talking about you. Yeah. Hey, remember when I was working for David? What would they say? Yeah. Now, you can absolutely control what that conversation is. Mm-hmm. When you write that obituary down, here's what I want said in the future. Yeah. And then guess what? You look at that and you start acting that you live and you treat people and you show up. Now, that doesn't mean that you're soft,
0: Right, right.
1: It, like you even read, I I love the Bible as a leadership guide. Yeah. But the word nice <laughs> is not in there. Right. When, right. you know, when, when my mentor, John told me that the reason I'm having problems with two of those people, I tend to be really decisive. I, I'm all about action, about yeah. getting stuff done. Yeah. So it's a strength, but a strength overuse can be a real liability. So what this overused strength for me was certain people showed up as, as arrogance, mm-hmm. as being callous, uh-huh. as not caring about them because these people were more relationally oriented. I'd come in and, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, you know, I could see that they were having a tough day. I'm just like, you know, dude, cowboy up. <laughs> I never showed up and said, Hey, how was your weekend? Mm-hmm. How's your family? Mm-hmm. How's your wife? That, yeah. those stuff, that was important. That was for social time, but not work time. Right. I had this, yeah wrong sense of it. But anyway, I had to take, but you know what, some of that feedback I got that was hard to hear, but it was true, mm-hmm. was given from a perspective of somebody who really cared about me, which yeah. made me be able to process it. Even though it wasn't nice, it was the kindest thing he could have ever done. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. we have to have this balance of not only receiving feedback, but giving it from that perspective and encouraging and lifting people up.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. What would you say to a leader though is on the other end of the spectrum who maybe wants to be nice and kind, but is hesitating to have some of those really difficult, candid conversations with someone or their team, how would you counsel them or how would you mentor them?
1: So to understand that, would it be like, let's say I have a problem with you in meetings, like there's just something you always do that just chafes me.
0: Yes. And I walk out of
1: there just a little tight. Mm -hmm. Is that what you're saying?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like we don't have a good
1: working relationship. I'd like it better. And I want to, but you're not willing to, whether you're a peer or maybe even work for me.
0: Yeah. And you're not willing to really address it
1: and speak straight. You know, it's an interesting point because what I have found, especially in the younger generations, Uh nobody's actually ever been taught how to approach people and actually have these conversations. And they're difficult.
2: It's true. Yeah.
1: And most of us, our age, We've only gotten better at it because we've just we've tried a few times and it didn't always work out well. And some of us have gotten good at. But here's here's a framework I think that can really help. And the first one is go in humility.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So the, and here's how this would look like. Hey, David, do you got a second? Yeah. You know what? Listen, David, this could totally be me. This could be my lens. This could be my filter. And then I would kind of share what I want. You know, David, you know, I think our working together. You know, it's going to help both of us. And there's been a couple of times where it's been awesome. Like, once again, I said, this could be me, but in that meeting, when you do this, I just honestly, what comes across to me is you think I'm a complete idiot and it just shuts me down. And I have some stuff in my backstory where when I interact with people like that, man, it is really hard for me. Yeah. Yeah. Now, he might be, I might be the one wrong, or he might be the one. Sure. Then the second thing I think is in pre forgiveness. So, before I go have this conversation with you, if you're still laying in bed staring at the ceiling with what I call delayed intelligence, <laughs> which is, you know what, you think of that perfect zinger, if you'd said in the moment, would it just yeah. fillet them open?
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Right. <laughs> right. Uh, so you want to process through all that stuff. Sure. The third area is you want to go in love. And even when I'm working with a team at the Pentagon, Trust me, folks, I use the same word. And I said, even if you don't love the word love, yeah. use the word caring. And that sure. is this, that I care more about you and your success than, than how you feel about me.
2: Mm, boy, because think about
1: that guy, John, that gave me that candid feedback I needed to hear. Yeah. If he'd be concerned about how I felt about him, because in the moment, I did not like that. Mm-hmm. I would have never, yeah. I would have never gotten some advice that literally was the inflection point of me succeeding as a leader.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: But think about this. If I truly cared about you, like, let's say I just observe it. And I know your body language and your tone. We all know guys like this. Uh, It's mostly the guys. So we'll just pick on the guys right now. Sure. (laughs) Right. That you know that, you know what, they got a couple good friends, but they can just be jack wagons. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: Right. And they turn some people off and it's because of their, their jokes, their, their, maybe their insensitivity and maybe they don't even know it.
2: Right. Right. Or their
1: body language, their tone you generally like them, but you know, this stuff is, you know, people talk about them, they're gossiping about them behind their back and nobody said a word. Mm-hmm. What if that was you? Yeah. So I think the the last thing is I have to focus on the facts. I think it's really important mm-hmm. is to focus on the facts. So listen, go in humility, pre-forgiveness, mm-hmm. love, and focus on the facts. Then it's going to be a very different conversation. Now I've had somebody that was like that, that was just, really bothering me and I saw that they were kind of offending some of the people mm-hmm. with some of their language or comments. Uh-huh. I think we definitely call it like microaggressions today. Sure. And I was pretty convinced that this person was not aware that what they were doing was really bothering some of the women in the office. But it was uh-huh. just at that borderline yeah. where, you know, it wasn't an HR issue but it made them uncomfortable.
2: Right, right.
1: And so I went up to him, I used the same framework. Now I knew this wasn't just me. Sure. But there could have been an element there because maybe I was more sensitive to it than others. Mm-hmm. Maybe I didn't want to go in and defend people that didn't, weren't asking to be defended. But I did say to them, I said, hey, listen, this could just be me. But here's what's going on. When you use this language or make these little comments, I feel very uncomfortable.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's yeah. my impression that that makes, and I don't want to talk about, and I don't engage in gossip. Gossip's a cancer. Yeah. But it's my impression that that makes some of the, you know, these two women on the team uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to share that with you. And I would, you know, hope. and he said, no, dude, you are so wrong, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And I said, I tell you what, because I knew I wanted this to change. I really felt like this was a dynamic. So I kind of stepped into the gap here a little bit. It was Mm -hmm. uncomfortable, but I said, I'll tell you what, how about this? Next time I observe that happen in real time, the thing that's bothering me that I think is bothering others. Would you mind if like right in that moment, I just pull you aside and share that with you? So you can process it. Cause I really truly believe hmm. that this is limiting your ability to get promoted yeah. and your influence inside of this company.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Interesting.
1: And you know, cause now, so I cast it in, in, cause everybody, their favorite radio station, right? W- yeah. WIIFM.
0: Yep. Absolutely. What's <laughs> it in, in it for me? me. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so <laughs> guess what? He was open to that. That's cool. That yeah. is what got through to him. And then it happened again. I pulled him aside. Okay, here I said, here's what you just said. We had somebody on our team um who's uh who was gay uh-huh. and he made a comment that he thought was funny.
2: Mm.
1: And I just watched this young guy just kind of uh just staring at his screen. I could just tell that, you know, it doesn't matter what I think about it. That's mm-hmm. not my role in in the yeah. corporate office.
2: Right.
1: And in right. And you know what? And if he creates that bad dynamic with one person who's a member of our whole team. We're on yeah. the same team. I pulled him aside. I said that right there, what you just said. Mm-hmm. I said, you see that young guy? Just look at him in the corner, man. Can you see? He's kind of flushed red, mm-hmm. He's staring at his screen. He's not interacting with anybody. That's because of that comment you just made.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I said, if you want my advice, don't talk like that anymore and pull him aside when nobody's around and you should apologize and ask him if he would hold you accountable and share with you if you do say something that bothers him. Yeah. He thought that was way over the line, but he actually eventually started doing that. Totally changed the dynamic on that team. Wow. So I think it's part of us as leaders, right? We have to step into that gap sometimes. Yeah. And guess what? The reason that I was able to do that, though, David, is I had written down, what is my vision for this team? and Mm -hmm. how they interact, and how we're known. What are their relationships? I'd written that obituary, and Mm -hmm. I knew to tolerate this or allow this stuff to happen, all these things that were important to me were not going to happen. So was it even important? Yeah, I love I didn't have that clarity of where I'm going, that destination as a leader for my team, it's no difference as a father and a husband for me today, too. Mm -hmm. Having that clarity of where I'm at now and where I'm going and what is that true north. This is all stuff I talk about in my book. Yep. To put all this stuff together, I don't think I would have probably maybe made that move.
2: Yeah. But I also
1: did it from a place where he knew that it wasn't a place from judgment, gossip, condemnation. Mm-hmm. it was a place from what is in his best interest and the best interest of the team and the it's organization the does that make sense
0: yeah yeah absolutely i love that and, and 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 i love the 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 fact that you talk about a vision statement for your leadership or a mission statement for your leadership and and um i, I let's talk a little bit too about your your book because it it's it's a great book um on purpose with a purpose like what led you to write that book and then And then, you know, what, what is it about that book that really like lights you up? And, you know, why did you
1: write it? Well, okay. Nine years ago, I'm in the top of my game professional and I'm miserable. I'd even started two nonprofits. I got invited to a retreat of a a nonprofit I was working on up in, I live in Denver, up in Montana. I fly my Cirrus up there. It was awesome. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) On Thursday, Friday, we're going to go horseback riding to the back of this property to get to know each other, small group, 14 people. Oh, nice. I'm on a horse. It bolts and it takes off, and at a full, flat out gallop, runs me straight headfirst into a steel crawl fence. Wow. I crushed every bone in my skull except for my jaw and my right cheekbone. I broke my neck. Oh my I goodness. shattered my shoulder. Wow. And one of the bars hit my chest, crushed my rib cage, and, wow. and one of the broken bones punctured my left lung. Wow. Now, what happened to me, David, was not medically survivable. I've hmm. heard that from multiple doctors afterwards. They even said, best case scenario, you should have been a quadriplegic like Christopher Reeves. Intubated wow. Intubated the rest of your life. Wow. God showed up at the accident.
0: Hmm. Wow. That's
1: cool. When I was in his presence, it was the most unconditional love I've ever felt. I remember laying there that my first thought was, I'm not worthy hmm. of hmm. somebody loving me like this. Yeah. And he told me he was going to heal me and use it for his glory. Man, I I was given the second chance. I was forty six years old. Wow, what do you do when you're given the second chance? But here's what happened: yeah. is, it was a couple of days later, I was in ICU for five weeks. Mm. And then I was at a specialty hospital for twenty months with a severe traumatic brain injury. I had twenty three surgeries total. It was a talk about adversity. I, I literally, David, lost yeah. everything. Oh man, my company. My savings, mm. my health. Wow. Um, I mean, gone. it was gone, gone. Talk yeah. about it first. Talk about yeah. it
0: Yes, no kidding.
1: And I'll never forget, though, and this is where this really became real, is uh, a couple of days after the accident, the neurosurgeon walks into the ICU room. My wife is there, and he says, i got to do a brain surgery. we got to take John's whole skull off and fix everything. It's so badly damaged. And the outcomes are not guaranteed, and the chances of him being the person you remember are not good. Mm. And then he asked my wife if we had a will or a living will. And she said, Yeah, we just redid it. We were supposed to sign it when John got back from this trip. And he told her, you know what, go get it. We can wait till the morning no longer. We need that FedEx up here. So he signs it. Mm. Like, oh wow. That's real.
2: (laughs) Yeah. They both left
1: the room. And here's what I was convinced of is that next weekend was my funeral. And I honestly started playing the tape. 45 Mm -hmm. years old, 46. And everybody at the front of the church all says, you know, nice stuff. I mean, that's what you do. Sure. And I started thinking, you know, what would they really say at the back of the church? Huh. You know, when they're all rooting around for the fried chicken and potato salad. <laughs> yeah. And what would they say a year later or two years later? Let's just say, David, um, we knew each other through, you know, you know, we met at a conference, John Maxwell Coaching. Yeah. And our, and our uh, who's awesome. Such a great uh, man. Mm-hmm. And what he teaches, but you know, what would you say? You're go, Oh, I remember him. And somebody brought you up. Oh, I remember him. What a nice guy. Yeah. And that's it. Right. Hey, I remember him. Yeah. We worked together.
2: Mm.
1: Or would he be like some of those people I mentioned, my commanding officer who tr- who helped me, who saw something to me and pushed mm. me. Not only did he give me that advice about a rising tide lifts all boats, but he pushed me to be better. He had me do things. That I did not feel ready for because yeah. he saw something me at that time I didn't see in myself. My dad, guys like John Foster, my wife, mm-hmm. was I that person that people looked back on? Not only the belt, extraordinary organizations that gave back to the community and had great relationships, or would my life and legacy die with me?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And here's what I was thinking about is on that table, laying there, waiting for the doctor to come back, is this thing, I and mean, we can end with this, is inheritance is what I was going to leave to my kids.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I started thinking about all that. They're going to be okay. Does my yeah. wife have enough money? Yeah. No savings and insurance and stuff like that. If I'd actually died, we'd, we were okay. But then I started thinking about legacy. Uh,
2: yeah. And
1: legacy is what you leave in other people.
2: Mm. Yeah. And I asked convict.
1: myself this question, have I lived a life so the use of my life would outlive my life? Uh, I and love I that. And my answer was no. Mm. And oh. I was convicted. It just mm. felt my heart pound in my chest because I can just feel that emotion in that moment. Yeah. And I started on this quest. And here's what I realized was the reason I was so miserable before this accident, but never had worked harder in my life. I had never yeah. really connected to mm. a sense of purpose and having a worthwhile goal. I don't think since all the way back when I was in flight school, pursuing mm. those wings in business, I just wanted to be the best and make the most. Uh, well, that is not a lifelong <laughs> pursuit.
0: Yeah, right. It really right. isn't.
1: I right. have friends of mine that are amazing at making money. It is yeah. their passion. Yeah. But the money then serves a purpose. And that it's that purpose that gets them excited. Right. And what I realized was, is this is, I could never find out what it was. It was like buried treasure. Mm. And I felt like I wasn't equipped. Yeah. And I felt like. But what I found out was I was going about it backwards.
2: Mm. Because
1: the leadership industry and everything we teach focuses a majority of it on the, on the who, uh, on the why, the what, and the how.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and those are very important yeah what we don't focus on enough is who we are yeah
2: Yeah.
1: because david i could sit here and i could be your coaching client i could have just moved into a management position or a ceo position and i'm like man i need some help i'm smart enough to know i need help Mm -hmm. and you can give me your best coaching your best mentorship your best advice but if i'm running that through a flawed person yeah yeah If I am not showing up as a best or better version of myself, I am not going to get either your results or the results that your other clients are getting. Yeah. So when I started closing that gap between who I saw in the mirror Mm -hmm. and that best version of myself, what I found was stress and anxiety went away. I started getting measurable results that changed both in my marriage with my kids and at work. And then I started coaching people and I realized, and then I was sitting down with somebody and they said, you know what? This is these results you're getting working with people are absolutely phenomenal. You're getting hired all over the place. Yeah. What is your process? I'm like, I don't know. I just kind of show up and do my best. And no, she made me think about it. And what, and, and what came out of that conversation was no, there was a very defined process that I think God had given me and shown me that I'm using with others and that's actually what became the book and that's my goal is to help people step into a life fully alive without having to get thrown into a fence
0: I love it I love it that's the story behind the book I love that, John. Thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, I, I know we're uh, running out of time here. So real quickly, tell me, uh, how, how can people get your book? I know it's uh, being released soon as we're recording that April this.
1: April 27th it comes out, if you're listening to this before then. Yeah. I, w- I would love, love, I would so appreciate it. I, I have a goal to have a bestseller. Awesome. I want to create a movement that we are leading differently. We look mm-hmm. at all the problems in our society today. Yeah. If we led differently, if we could get along with those that we have different beliefs and values and experience with, imagine, mm-hmm. and we just modeled that in our communities, in our organization, in our teams, mm-hmm. I literally believe we could transform this country for the better, even in the next year. Uh, so I'd right. love for you to, at Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Books a Million, anywhere you want to go. It's, okay. it's on purpose with purpose. But Long. if you go to beyondinfluence.com forward slash book. Yep. There's a link there to pre-order if you if you if you just go through that you're going to okay. be eligible for a whole bunch of stuff. Some great Excellent. stuff we're giving away from coaching and training packages and some part of a community. So we're, we're just trying to have a lot of fun, get the word out there. So thank you.
0: I love it. David, yes. I really appreciate it. Oh, John, thank you. I, I'll make sure that uh, that gets uh, in the show notes. We'll link it up in the show notes so everybody can go to uh, that link and and, and grab their uh, pre-order of your book. So, John, thank you again for the generosity of your time. Great to hear your story. Looking forward to future conversations.
1: Yeah, thanks, David. Great talking with you, man. Play like a champ today. Yeah, man. All right. <laughs> Love that. Thanks. And I uh, look forward to our next conversation. We need to do it soon. Sounds good. Thank you so much, John. Okay. See you, bud. Bye. Bye for now.
0: Well, I hope you really enjoyed that conversation with John Ramstead. Um, what a great guy. What a great wisdom that he shared as well. Just so much about overcoming adversity and knowing why it's important to be able to overcome that adversity. And then also just understanding your identity just having focus and really having a mindset of that life is happening um, for me and not to me. Uh, that, th- those are just really powerful concepts that I picked up from that conversation. And I wanted just to make sure that I recap them here at the, at the end of this podcast. And I really hope that you caught the fact that he sought out a mentor, that his dad told him to go find someone that's just a little bit farther ahead of, of where you are and and I just thought that was fascinating um, that his dad told him to go seek out a mentor. I thought, too, that the, the statistic about one in 10,000 people who apply actually get to sit in a fighter. And he was one of them. Pretty amazing stuff there. And really just the whole idea of being willing to do what it takes to compete with becoming the best version of yourself and your willingness to really overcome that adversity. And the idea that he brought out about that we need wingmen, we need wingwomen, we need people around us, surrounding us, helping us to to get better, helping us to to grow, I think that's a really important leadership and growth concept. And the other idea that he brought out was that leading people has nothing to do with the industry you're in that it has everything to do with knowing how to lead people. I think that was a really important uh, point that he made as well. And then his last point as as, uh, we were closing out the podcast, just be looking for ways and finding ways, go out of your way daily to serve someone. What great advice. I hope that you enjoyed this, this conversation with John, and I really hope that you'll also check out his book. I had the privilege of getting an advanced copy, and it's, it's a great book. There's some great stories in it. Um, he goes into more detail of some of the things that caused him to have to overcome adversity. And so I think that uh, you'll I know that you will really enjoy uh, that book. So until next time, continue in the growth space and be well.